If you're a note taker, first off, we have a, a, an app for the church. If you, uh, as you, if you come here all the time, you probably know that. All these notes, anything I put on the screen is in the app, all right? And uh, we, I know a couple weeks we've had it not updated. I got a message about that, and we're, we're getting the app updated. So all the notes should be in there today, uh, including any verse that's outside of Isaiah 11, all right? And so if you're a note taker, it's there. If you're, if you're new here, by the way, on the back of your connection card is instructions on how to download the app, all right? So let's start this, a main idea for today. Equally as powerful as John describes in Revelation, Isaiah describes the future reign of Jesus, Isaiah takes us from humble beginnings to power, justice, and absolute peace. We often view Jesus' eternal reign to be otherworldly, but the Bible shows us an image of this world redeemed. Consider that. And I know that we have a whole host of influences that give us an image of what life after death or eternity when Jesus reigns. We All kinds of images for that. But when we see Jesus speak about it, we talk about a new heaven and a new earth. We talk about a new body where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. And we talk about him reigning in person with us. We just read that out of Revelation. Jesus with us, the king saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I'm here forever. And so when we think about that, I want to ask this one question. What would it look like? If this world weren't broken, what would it look like if our leaders were godly? And this isn't aimed at any particular leader. In fact, this is, that's not true. This is aimed at every leader. Fair? Me, anybody. What would it look like if things were the way God meant them to be? If we hadn't messed it up? That's the picture. That's the portrait that Isaiah paints for us. That John eventually will paint for us at the, in that book of Revelation. He'll, he'll paint that image as well. And so I just want you to think. I want to I look at that. Verse 1, chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So we're diving in the middle of the story. It's like walking in, and all the important stuff in the movies already happened. Right? We're trying to figure out, okay, like who's this guy, and why are they chasing him, and what's going on, Right? So here's where we're kind of weighing in in the middle of this. And then as a secondary thing, prophecy in the Bible, Christians and churches can sometimes get squirrely around prophecy, right? And they're, they're trying to say, well, this is this, or this is going to happen. This is that. It is that kind of thing. It is forward-looking, but it's very clear what it's talking about. Sometimes people will try and identify people and places and time and things like that that haven't happened yet. And I'm just going to suggest to you that this one's easy that this one points forward to that very passage we just read in Revelation. And what we get to know is this, that the Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible. Right? The Bible is always the most definitive for the things that are unclear. It clarifies them at some point. And so we'll let the Bible tell us what it means when it says something rather than me try and point something out. Okay? Now I want to back up to Isaiah 6. And I'm going to leave this passage as we read this again. I'm going to put this verse up. Now, this was, this was something that God had said about five chapters ago. This is something Isaiah said. God said to Isaiah, Isaiah went and said to the people. So let's get a little history. Isaiah is speaking to first the group of the, the nation of Judah and then the nation of Israel. These were at one time one nation that divided. And they divided over problems they were having, and both nations have turned away from God. So this is 
God crying out to the people of God who are being disobedient, okay? Put that in modern day times. This is, this is us when we're at our worst. God still loves us. We still can be disobedient, fair? Right? Us as a nation, us as a church, us as whatever you want to, however you want to put this. This is God speaking over disobedient people. And here's what he says. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, so trees, whose stump remains when it's felled, the holy seed is its stump. Now I'm going to leave this up. This is an important starting point for what we're talking about today. So here's what God is saying. Listen, though you have been disobedient, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to start wiping people out. Now remember, this is after generation and generation and generation of God saying, please, Stop what you're doing. Return to me. Come back. I love you. Here's what's best for you. You're living in ways that are bad for you. Come, let me, let me heal you. Let me redeem you. And then after generation and generation and generation of disobedience, God's like, okay, I'm going to put an end to this. And when I put an end to this, I'm going to keep a remnant. I'm going to keep a group of people alive who are going to tell the story of the good news that I've given you, that I love you that I want to redeem you, that I want to heal you. And he says, it'll be like, like taking a tree and, and just burning it down, and all you have left is a stump. It's like a tree that's been cut down and then burned, he says in another passage. But he says this, that tree stump, that's the holy seed. That's the thing that's going to provide for you faith in the future. So he's using this image, he's using this prophecy, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to level the people, but I'm going to keep a piece of it. And inside that, I'm going to retell the story to my people that I love them. And I'm going to give them the message of my redemption. So that's, that's his promise, right? In the midst of a judgment, he's also giving them good news. Now let's read verse 1 again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So let's put this in context. Jesse is the father of King David, who ruled over Israel as it gained its prominence. And the promises made to King David were that through his line, that there would become an eternal king. Now let me, <clears throat> that's modern day language. What David was promised is that the, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people, many of which were unfulfilled. I promise I'm going to bring redemption to a people. When you go in and you worship and you offer a sacrifice, you're just foreshadowing what I'm going to do. God would tell his people for thousands of years. And then through David, he promises, listen, through you, I will bring an eternal king. Not just a king like you, David, but through you, through your lineage, through your generations, I will bring an eternal king. And so this passage, when it says, from the stump of Jesse, from what was cut down, the promise of David will still happen. That holy seed will come. That branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So imagine you're living in ancient Israel, and you know that God has made promises to you, but they haven't come true yet. And God is saying, listen, I'm going to wipe this people out, but I'm going to keep a remnant. And through that remnant, I'm still going to keep my promises. Just push pause there, and I don't know where all of you are in your life today. Maybe you're at the top of your game. Maybe everything is good. Maybe life is going really well, and you're just here, and you're so glad, and you are worshiping. Good for you. You should rub off on some others, right? I mean, like, I'm glad. Like, I'm glad we have people like that. But then the same, maybe sitting right next to you, 
You've got people that just can't figure out how to make it through today. So when we get together, again, we're all in different places. Some of us may be struggling through really good things and really hard things. Maybe, maybe we're just kind of, last week was really tough, but this week is really great. The same message applies. No matter where you are, the promises of God to you still remain. Amen. Right? No matter where you are, no matter how hard it is, God's promises remain. And that's what he's saying. I know where you're at as a culture. Right? Maybe we, in the, in the U.S., maybe we need to hear this. I know where you are now, but God still, God still loves us. Right? And that's true if you're on the other side of the planet in another country. I just mean, just we need to hear that in our context today. No, we're not the most godly nation. No, we don't have godly leaders. No, we don't. We admit that. And I don't care if you like this leader, if it's, it's him, the last one, or the one before. There's somebody in there you voted for, and there's somebody in there you wish didn't work, right? So it doesn't matter who it is. We're all in a place of, we know this isn't, this isn't the best it could be. This isn't the planet that God designed it to be. This is the planet under sinful and corrupt people like us, right? Broken in a world need of redemption, What we're saying is God's redemption is still there. Psalm 132 says this. This was written uh, by David, I believe. I'd have to look. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body I will set on your throne. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe in shame, but on him his crown will shine. Now we've talked about prophecy in the Bible a little bit as we've dove into the book of Isaiah. And sometimes there's a verse like this. Hey, from your body, a son will come that will be a king. But then there's a second part. And then there's an eternal king that will also come. So yes, his son Solomon did take over after him. But the promises, the messianic promises, or the the promises being fulfilled eternally will come through Jesus. So if you're a note taker, let me give you the next slide, please. A humble king. Though Jesus was the promised eternal king, Jesus begins in humility by being born in human flesh. This humble beginning was to serve us by enduring all that we endure. So when we talk about an eternal king, remember that eternal king didn't start or didn't... The good news of that eternal king begins when God himself becomes flesh, right? When Jesus gets off the throne and comes down and puts on skin, lives exactly like you and I do. And he did so to endure what you and I endure. And so we have the high moments. So if you're here and you're celebratory and things are going well, Jesus had those moments. He celebrated those moments. He went to weddings. He went to parties. He went to feasts. He had fun. But if you're here and things are tough, Jesus had those moments too. And I don't just mean on the cross, but even leading to the cross, I think of the moments like fasting for 40 days in the desert and just being hammered by Satan himself. Or the Garden of Gethsemane, as he knows he's going to the cross, and he asks his friends, hey, come and pray with me, and keep watch with me, stand with me, man. I'm at my weakest moment, and his friends all fall asleep, and he's left there by himself. It says he prayed, and he wept until literally, like, blood came out. So if you're at that low moment, Jesus understands where that is, too. So the humility of this eternal king, the humbling, the humble beginnings not only make Jesus who he said he would be, but he understands where you are. He understands where I am when we're in need. So verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, meaning Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
I just want you to imagine good versus evil leadership, right? And I know we don't have to look very far uh, to figure that out, but there are some evil, wicked people on the planet, right? And uh, we were talking, there's some guys we meet together on Wednesday morning, and we're talking about Mugabe down in Zimbabwe, probably the worst man on the planet, right? He's pretty low profile as, as that goes. We think of people in, in the East maybe or whatever else, but there's this guy who just horribly, horribly takes everything from his people. And, and it's just a murderer and, and a dictator, a horrible person. When we think about evil leadership, right, we don't just think of like, hey, we don't like this guy or we voted for somebody else. But there's some evil leadership in the world. The exact opposite of that is what God is, is or what Isaiah is portraying for us about Jesus. And he says this, he says, listen, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Like in there is mixed like this, the most powerful king, right? The might and the amazing, but on the other side is the most wise king, the counsel and the understanding, the care and the generosity. Like all of this is mixed into Jesus is this, as it's this eternal king. As he says, listen, as you, as you look forward, as you look down the line of history, and you know today is tough, or you know today isn't perfect, you know today isn't as it should be, I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to know about that sevenfold spirit. And if you read this in Isaiah, maybe some of those sevenfold spirits in Revelation will make more sense. There's your seven dynamics, if you will, of that. Verse 3, and it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or disputes by what his ears hear. First off, he, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in, in honoring God in everything he does. And so I, I don't think we have even any good example of leadership where, they're, where they're so, their delight solely is in glorifying God. And I, I hope that I hope that in church leaders, faith leaders, all, over the, you know, all around the planet, I hope that there is some semblance of that. But every human leader is flawed, like essentially just broken inside and never measures up to this. And this is saying here, when he is there, his number one thing is king will be glorifying God in everything. Listen to the second part of this, verse 3. He says this, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. There's this, my wife and I, uh, we like to watch reality TV sometimes. I know, I'm just confessing, right? Like, just, I'm sorry. Remember I just said broken leaders? I mean, like, totally, there it is, right? So we watch dumb shows like Survivor, but I know. So The Voice, though, The Voice is genius. Now, let me just say this. The Voice is genius, and, and there's this, uh, there's this, well, first off, like, people that are rock stars and gazillionaires are fighting for nobodies to be on their team. I love that, right? But you hear these interviews before they go out and audition. And the, if you've never seen the voice, the premise is that all the chairs are turned and the person comes out and performs and they're just chosen by their voice. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter if they look like what they're singing or if they've been judged by their looks before positively or negatively. It's just, it's just by the voice, right? And you listen to the interviews and the audition, the, before the people audition and they're like, listen, finally, I just want to be judged on my voice. Listen to what he says. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. It's like our symbol for law in America is this, 
is this blindfolded wisdom, right? The woman wisdom is blindfolded. That what you look like, or what you sound like, or how much money you have should never matter when it comes down to justice, right? And we just know, listen, I will take our legal system over any other on the planet, but ours is flawed. I mean, let's let's just admit, it's not perfect, right? It needs help. This is reconciling all of that. No race, color, creed, economic status, your education, none of that matters. Not on what his eyes hear, his ears hear, it is perfect justice. So if you're a note taker, perfect justice. As we look forward to all that Jesus makes right, Jesus' reign is based in righteousness. All systems of finance, power, and bias all end and give way to a kingdom where no one is marginalized and weak and where all are equal under Christ. As we look forward, if things are wrong today, if we feel like, hey, man, I just I can't seem to, to get where I need to be, we look forward to a day where Jesus fixes that, where Jesus' reign levels the playing field and justice and righteousness is the hallmark. Verse 6, the wolf shall, lay down, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. This isn't a setting where, I mean, we all understand that some animals are predators and, and some are prey, right? The lion and the lamb laying down together. We know that the only reason a lion and a lamb lay down together is if the lion's getting ready to eat, right? He is hunted and grabbed that and he's laying down to eat. That's it. What we're saying is there will come a time where all of the world is redeemed. Not just humanity, but all of it. Where the lion can lay down with the lamb, right? Where where predator will no longer be predator and prey will be safe, right? Where everything is reconciled and death is no more. All of humanity, all of the world, all of anything living will be reconciled from the earth to everything on it, to humanity, where everything will be made right. He goes on, he says, The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. In other words, no longer eating meat, but eating uh, from from the earth. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, or the snake's den. Can you imagine a world where danger no longer exists? Can you imagine a, a world where war is no longer and children are safe? One of the things as a pastor that you, that you are confronted with often is making sure that women and children are safe, right? That you make sure that your campus is safe, that your staff is safe, that kids and their children, that like we check every kid in intentionally and scrupulously, like we run the names of the people that serve in our children's ministry to make sure that our kids are safe, right? It's one of those things that stands out and just says, what about a world where you didn't have to do that? What about living in an existence where there was no war, there was no danger, there was no predator, human or otherwise? Verse 9 says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth, now notice, this isn't, this isn't just heaven. He says, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord and the waters as the waters cover the sea. So just like the oceans that cover land will be knowledge covering the people who cover the earth. 
right? That everybody will know. Like there's, there's pieces of this world that we're just like, even no matter how well you know this thing, no matter how well you have read the Bible, no matter how much you've studied, you have questions, right? I mean, like lots of questions. Like, okay, so I get it. It says it, but I just don't get it, right? Like I just... I've made a lifetime out of trying to study this. But the more I learn, the more I figure out, like, i got more questions, right? And then it just says, and knowledge will cover the earth like the, like the oceans cover the earth right now. Like, that there will be understanding. And that's not saying, hey, listen, blindly and ignorantly follow Jesus. You don't have to ask questions. Don't do that. Just trust. That's not saying that. Right? God calls us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our souls, our mind, and our strength, Right? Like that we should intelligently pursue our faith. But no matter how far we get, we as infinite human beings will never understand, I mean, me, we as finite human beings will never understand an infinite God. Like we will never achieve all of that. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Absolute peace. When Jesus redeems the earth from all suffering, pain, danger, and violence, the redeemed world will be marked by perfect peace. Perfect peace. I don't even know to start to explain that. Like, I just, I know, we've been talking a lot lately. I'm, I'm due to have another back surgery. I had a back surgery about 17 years ago, and good chance I'll need another one. That's, that's pretty much a given. And so that's been a conversation, because some of you work in that field, and others, for whatever reason, has come up, and... And I was just telling the story the other day. When I had my back surgery the first time, it was 17 years ago, it was 2002, it was June. My wife and I, uh, I remember coming out of surgery, and the, well, I'm coming to and, you know, kind of regaining, you know, my eyeballs and, and whatever else is going around. And my wife gets to see me. And the first words I said to my wife are, I'm, I'm out of pain. Right? And I, I, there was... What I meant by that, and, and she understood, was that I had been dealing with so much pain for so long, like I forgot what it looked like to not have that kind of pain, right? And I remember saying, wow, like it's all gone. Like I didn't even know it could be this good. I was just thinking this, but it's that much better. We talk about absolute peace. I have a feeling it's like that. That we know such internal and external struggle that when we get peace, it will be so far beyond what we anticipate. Like, oh, I just thought I was getting this. And man, this is, this is so much bigger. Verse 10, and that day the root of Jesse. So again, there's that, that, that way of speaking about the Messiah to come. Now remember, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Isaiah writes between seven and 800 years before Jesus was born. So this is writing on the other side of that history as Jesus is still to come. And so hundreds of years before Jesus even enters into human history, which filled in a lot of puzzle pieces, people trying to understand from the Old Testament, right? Trying to understand as God had spoken to them. These were the language that used the root of Jesse, the son of David, right? This branch, the lion of the tribe of Judah, all this language filled with promise and hope. We're reading it with a pretty incredible view because we're reading it before much of it happened that we got to see and then hear other people write about and still with some anticipation of things to come. And so it says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for, all, for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So in that day, the same day Isaiah is writing about is the same day John is telling us about so many chapters later, all the way at the end of the New Testament. 
So earlier in history as this being written, God is revealing the same thing to a man named Isaiah hundreds of years before John would go on and write the same thing. And saying, listen, this is what God is going to do. In that day, when, when Jesus redeems everything, there's going to be this day, this time, this season that will come about. And when Jesus does this, here's what you can anticipate. A signal for all nations. So if you're a note taker, a universal king. Jesus is not just the king of Israel or the king of America. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God over all the universe. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will be in this eternal kingdom. Let me fast forward to Revelation 5 again. It says this, and they sang a new song singing, a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. This is Jesus, for you were slain. Notice the part of history John is writing for Jesus has already come and lived, died, and rose again. Now John is writing on the other side of that, much like we get to see, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people in the nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So we get people telling the same story in different periods of time. It's like giving a perspective from your seat is different of the church than it is from my standpoint, Right? One is writing before Jesus entered into human history and lived and, and then died on a cross and rose from the grave. John, who saw all that happen now, is telling the same story and speaking to, to Jesus who was and is and is to come. Amen. And so they get to share this same story of hope and God has shared the same story of hope throughout history that all of us, when we struggle, with, would have something to look forward to. That we would know that Jesus is going to right the ship, if you will. He will fix what is broken. Verse 11 says, In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains from his people, from Assyria, from Egypt. Note when he says from his people, notice he just includes a whole bunch of people in the world. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The story of a second time. The second time he will extend his hand. This is talking about again like he did from Egypt. I've been reading and praying through the Psalms this year and I'm, I'm almost all the way through. There was 150 Psalms and been working through them in the morning, depending on what morning, might be two or three, or might be one, or whatever. And I've had this recurring thing I've noticed that the psalmist, uh, David wrote many of them, Asaph, the sons of Korah, others, many of them write about God's deliverance out of Egypt. None of them live through it, as far as I can tell by the age of them, by those that I know who they are. None of them live through it. But many of them, if not all the psalmists, I don't know that I can prove that all of them did that, but many of them for sure write about God delivering the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. This is that thing that they look back to in their history, and they're like, this is the most amazing thing God ever did. It's, when you hear my story, I reach back and I tell you a story of addiction, a story of crime, gangs, prison. I tell you how God delivered me out of that over 20 years ago, right? That's, that's not the only story I've got. Like, that's not all that God has done for me, but that is the thing where I was stuck here, literally. I was trapped, and God set me free. 
Now, there, there's stories from this week and last week and next week and all that. There, there's God's grace is always happening. But there's that one story that I'm just like, this is just the biggest thing. That's Egypt for them. So for a second time, now Egypt as a metaphor for all of eternity and all of this broken world, for a second time, you're going to stretch out your hand and you're going to deliver us from slavery and oppression and pain and sorrow. Right? As, as God marched them out of Egypt and then gave them a home. Imagine God saying the same thing. I'm going I'm to get you through this life, but this isn't your home. I'm going to bring you into a new home. For a second time, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to deliver greater than I did on the first one. Verse 13, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Right? There'll be a unity around God's people. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the people on the east and they shall put their hand against Edom and Moab and the Ammonites shall obey them and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. So he is using this imagery of the deliverance of the people out of slavery and oppression and saying, listen, I'm going to do this again, but much greater. Evil will be destroyed this time once for all. All that oppresses people. I'm not just going to destroy a nation. I'm going to destroy evil. When I bring you out, it's once and for all. It's eternal. As I bring you into a new heaven and a new earth, this one, this one will be everything you need it to be. Verse 16, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So the gospel story that we, that we often hear and that we share, it, it has so much to it. It has so many pieces to it. It's not really hard to, to share a, a full, you know, well-rounded gospel, if you will, but there's never-ending implications of this. When we talk about the incarnation of Christ as, as God himself becomes flesh, right? We talk about the sinless life of Jesus where Jesus lives the life that we are called to live but have failed, right? That he has lived, that he's been victorious over this life. And then in our place, Suffering our penalty, he goes and dies. Not only dies for us, but he dies the most vulgar death of history as he is stretched out on a cross, nailed to a cross, beaten and scourged, and gives his life for you and for me. That substitutionary death where Jesus dies and takes on our penalty and then is buried in the ground and is, is dead for three days. And these are, these are the things. We're getting ready to celebrate all this, right? We're getting ready to walk through... Holy Week leading up to Good Friday and, and Palm Sunday when he enters in and, you know, the crucifixion on Good Friday and the resurrection on Sunday morning. And as we celebrate baptisms, we'll use that resurrection language that we'll talk about that you, that you have died to the flesh. If you have identified yourself in Jesus, you've died to the flesh and they'll go in the water and then, but you have resurrected to new life, right? And so Jesus, as he resurrects, he brings new life for all of us. As Jesus ascends, he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. Right, The spirit of the Lord that he will reign in, he has given us. And then he promises, and now one more thing, I will make everything right. I will fix whatever is broken. Now, trust in me. Now, have faith. Remain. So Isaiah 11, he just paints a portrait of a new beginning. 
The image of Israel coming up out of slavery is the image Isaiah gives us to anticipate a redeemed world. This is to convey a message of all the great and wonderful parts of creation with all that we have destroyed with sin. All that we have broken, and I say we, and I know it took place long before we got here, but we too add to the brokenness of this planet. I don't want to just look backwards and go, yeah, everybody before us screwed everything up, right? But we, we have broken this place. That we contribute to the pain and suffering of other people, sometimes knowledgeably, sometimes not. But we do. Oh, this doesn't matter. I know this is good. Well, God said not to do this. Oh, this doesn't matter. And we just pile on. But Jesus writes everything. Every wrong is righted in Jesus. So I wanted to figure out how to close this out today. Just ask, how do, we, how do we respond to this? So I pulled some things out about Jesus that are eternal. And I want to ask the question, how can we be this today? So here's the first one. Humility. Just as Jesus entered into this world in complete humility, stepping down off his throne for complete, for, sorry about the repetitive nature there, complete humanity to be human, we too need to be marked by humility. Right? Too often Christians who really, to be a Christian is to identify this. I've broken everything and can't fix it, but Jesus can fix it. Right? Like I've messed my life up so far that I have to kind of hand it all off to Jesus in a bunch of pieces and ask him to put it back together. I can't fix it. So we have to come to Jesus humbly, and it's a sad state of things when the church becomes arrogant. Humility ought to be a marker of God's people, just as Jesus himself humbled himself, right? We, too, need to humble ourselves and serve the world outside of here. Justice. One of the loudest messages Isaiah and other prophets have is to seek justice on behalf of the weak and marginalized. We should care, let me just say this, and this is not a political caring for, we, we need to care for people that are weak, marginalized, and need care, we. Not vote for it, not some plan, we. Of the loudest message about Isaiah and the other prophets is to seek justice on behalf of the weak and marginalized. We should care for those we cannot, who cannot care for themselves, just as Christ cared for us when we had nothing to offer. When I had nothing but a mess to hand to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, I'll totally take that and fix it up. Like, I love you. I want to fix that. I want you to bring me your mess. We should then be those people to the world. We should look for the weak and the marginalized and the hurting and the broken, not just people that can do for us. Next one. Jesus will reign in peace eternally. Today, in a world of unrest and discord, followers of Jesus as followers of Jesus, we need to be people of peace where others can see Jesus. In a world of everything other than peace, we should be peacemakers. We should be the people that others can look to and struggle and distress, even if our life is in the midst of discord. We know where to find peace. We should be people of peace. Lastly, this is Jesus will reign in the spirit of the Lord. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. We're not left alone. We're empowered by his spirit. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, I did it, now you do it. He says, I did it because you can't. Now let me put my spirit in you and let me walk you through it. So as we often say, Jesus did all the heavy lifting, all the hard work. He just handed it to us that we could walk with him. So if you're here today and you're having a great week, a great 2019 God bless you. I'm glad. 
If you're here and this year has not started out well, maybe you need to hear this today. That in the end, it's not just Jesus wins, but we win. Everything that's wrong now is made right in Christ. And if this is a message you've never heard, I, I will just say this. During service or after service, find me. I want to tell you about this message. I want to tell you about the Jesus who loves you right where you are. Let's pray. And Jesus, we have we come together because you love us. We're not here because we're any good. We're here because you are abundantly good. We're not here because we have answers. We're here because you have answered it for us. We worship you because you love us. Because you've healed us and you are healing us. Because you have redeemed us and you continue to redeem us. So Jesus, we're here for you. As we transition into response, Jesus, I pray that you would meet us here in this moment. Let us not leave without giving you your due praise, your honor. Whether that's in, in worship and in singing, whether that's through worship in our giving or our prayers, uh, whether that's us bringing you our needs, whatever it is, may we meet with you in these next few, these next few minutes that we have. Thank you for everything, Jesus. Even the things we'll have no idea you've ever done for us. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.